Well, the scripture for the sermon this morning is found on page 12 of your worship guide. We'll be primarily in two places this morning. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, and you can go ahead and turn there uh, first. And then 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. We're in the middle of our annual stewardship series leading up to Thanksgiving. This year we are focused on the generous grace of God and we've kind of been following our theme of our mission and vision theme for the year, which is uh, empowering our members to use their gifts as prophets, priests, and kings to grow the church. We've been looking at how God throughout time, because we really started way back at the beginning with Paul or with Paul's sermon uh, that Sunday on the prophetic nature of God's word and the plan of salvation. Last week we looked at how Jesus is our priest and how the generous grace of God leads him to to intercede for his people. And this week we want to keep with that theme and look at the Lord Jesus as the king and in particular how he as the king leads and guides and provides for the church, uh, his bride. And so That's where we are this week. This week we're going to look at the generous grace of God in his rule and in his administration of the church as the king and head of the church. But specifically how he does that through giving the church a tremendous gift. Uh, A tremendous gift and that gift is the gift of elders and deacons. And by now, hopefully, uh, well, in this coming week, you will receive an email and uh, a letter in the mail that sort of explains more about the nomination process and, and goes into some of the particulars of that. Um, but this coming week, uh, the 22nd, like I said, we're going to start those nominations. So I wanted to, to take this opportunity to, to go through some of the qualifications for those men that can serve as elder and deacon. And if you are a communing member of the GCC, as I said earlier, we want you to be really prayerful about those men that you nominate. And in the Presbyterian Church in America, which is our denomination, we do nominate men for these offices. We hold to a doctrine called complementarianism, which simply means that we believe that the gifts of men and women in the church complement one another and that the differences between men and women are differences of role rather than of value. And so we believe that God's word teaches that only men are qualified and called to those roles of elder and deacon in our church. That's perhaps a whole nother sermon, maybe even a whole nother sermon series. But if you would like to, if you have questions about that and you'd like to talk to me about that, I'd love to, to spend time Uh, going over what we believe regarding that and why. But looking at those men, particularly that you have seen demonstrate the gifts and qualifications necessary to serve GCC in either of these two offices of elder and the office of deacon. Uh, If you're not a communing member of our church, number one, I'd love to talk to you about becoming a communing member of our church. But also, we ask you, and particularly if you've been attending with us regularly, even online or in the fellowship hall, please pray for our church as we go through this process. This is going to be a long process. The elections that will this will ultimately lead to will take place sometime this spring. And so there's nominations and training. Uh, there's a lot of prayer and discernment that goes on in this. But if you have any questions about any of this and this process from start to finish, please don't hesitate to give me a call. I'd love to talk to you about it. 
Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11, and I'll read to verse 16. And he gave the and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined together and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And now from 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Paul writes to Timothy, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, nor violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil." Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's a, there's a great scene in, I think, I think it's my favorite Indiana Jones movie, The Temple of Doom, the second one. There's this great scene at the end when Indiana Jones is kind of coming up this dusty dirt road, kind of over the hill, and you sort of, you see his hat appear first, and he kind of run, comes up walking triumphantly, but still sort of battered and beaten from his adventures over this hill, and coming running up behind him are just these hordes and hordes of children that he has freed from this slave thing in the temple of doom and it was this whole big thing uh and so like as i read ephesians 4 like what paul is saying there is is sort of about like what jesus accomplished on the cross and through his resurrection and as jesus was was raised from the dead in triumph over sin and death ultimately that there was all of these benefits that came with him for his church that he won this victory and this victory was was 
definitely not this hollow, meaningless, symbolic victory, but it was a victory full of substance and meaning and depth and and real life repercussions for his people. And it says when we pick up in verse 11, it actually says in verse eight of that same chapter that he led a host of captives. And it, like the idea is that Jesus won the battle and now he's bringing home like the, the spoils of the war and the spoils of the battle. And he's distributing the spoils of this battle to his church. When it says he gave them all of these gifts and, and one of the gifts that Jesus brings his church for her flourishing as her king and as the head of his church are officers, are elders and deacons to lead and govern and shepherd and pastor and serve and encourage and equip you his church, that elders and deacons are God's gift and Jesus's gift to you, the people of God. They're God's gift to me, even though I also bear that office of elder, that, that those officers are God's gift to me in, in doing what God has called me to do. And they're God's gift to you in doing what he has called you to do. That Jesus, Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God's loving grace to the church, right, as prophet and priest. And he gives her what she needs to flourish as her sovereign king. He gives his church elders and deacons. So let's look in three ways at this. First is the office of elder and deacon. The second is the qualifications for elders and deacons. And the third is the king of elders and deacons. Let's look at the office of elder and deacon first. Uh, Paul to Timothy says that this is a noble task. This is a noble office. It says this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And this word overseer in, in Paul's writings is, is the word for episkopos. We kind of get the like Episcopalian church, like this idea of a bishop and overseer. But he really uses that same word interchangeably with a couple of different other words. And one of them is, is the word presbyteros, which that should sort of ring a bell as you are sitting currently, no matter what Google Maps might say, in a Presbyterian church. <laughs> And if you know, if you look up our address on Google Maps, it actually says we're Baptist, um, which, is, which is fine. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but presbyteros is a word that, that means elder. And so that's where we get the term Presbyterian, that, that that is not your religion, but that actually describes the form of government of the church to which you belong, right? So verse 13 says, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And so both of these offices are noble offices. They are good callings. They are good offices to aspire to and to hold, hold that, that both offices are actually offices of service. That both are offices that require great sacrifice on the part of the officer and his family. That both are offices that come from a deep sense of inward call on the part of the officer and the man himself. That there's a, a willingness and a desire on the part of the man to, to be used of God to serve the church in this way. But what it never is, however, 
is a desire for prestige, is a desire for standing, it is a desire for status or for authority for the sake of authority. It can be a desire for authority for the sake of bringing peace and edification to the church, but there's never a desire for power over others for the sake of having and feeling like you have power. It's not a power trip. So there's that inward call that happens inside the person himself as, as he wrestles with this question of whether or not he is called to be an officer, an elder, or a deacon. But that also has to be matched with something. And what it has to be matched with is a sense of outward call, or is, an, is not a sense of an outward call, but an actual outward call. Uh, that, that this happens in the form of our nominating and electing process. So in, in other words, the church members see the character and giftedness of, of the men around them in the church as being well-suited to the office of elder or the office of deacon. And that usually happens because they see those men actually doing the things that an elder or deacon would normally or naturally do without having to be asked, that they see them serving and loving the people of God in their church. They see them caring for the, the physical and the spiritual needs of the people in their church, of their brothers and sisters. They see a, a giftedness and a desire to do the hard work of teaching and leading as those opportunities arise. In short, what they see is a great love for the church bubbling out of these men just naturally effervescing out of the spirits working and gifting and calling them. So it's a, it's a noble office. It's also an office of affection. You have to love the church not just the people sitting in the pews with you on Sunday morning in your particular local congregation. Yes, you have to love them, but you have to love the church in a broader sense. Because the calling, particularly the calling of elder, is a calling to serve a broader church. You have to love not only the people of the church, but you have to love the institution of the church as well, as flawed and as messed up as she can be at sometimes. Our book of church order, which is the, the, the kind of constitutional book that kind of governs and tells us what to do as a part of the PCA, says this about elders. As he has the oversight of the flock of Christ, he is termed bishop or pastor. As it is his duty to be grave and prudent an example to the flock and to govern well in the house and kingdom of Christ, he is termed presbyter or elder. As he expounds the word and by sound doctrine both exhorts and convinces the gainsayer, he is termed teacher. There's, there's an understanding that you have to love all of that. Those roles of pastor, of elder, and of teacher, uh, if you were to serve in the office of elder, that there, are, that there are committees that need to be served upon. That there are courts of the church that require ruling elders uh, more so than they require teaching elders in a lot of ways. I'll talk about the difference there in a minute. But there are presbytery meetings and general assemblies to attend and the duties of elder extend and sometimes the duties of deacon as well sometimes extend beyond the walls of this particular congregation. 
Sometimes they extend even outside of our denomination into the broader church and kingdom of Christ, as the BCO refers to it. There has to be a love for the church that we are connected to. That officers will see a level of brokenness in the church that the average member won't see. And that includes brokenness within themselves. That the calling to these offices is a calling to recognize first and foremost that the depth of your own personal need for the gospel and the depth of your own personal need as an officer for Jesus is only going to increase as you walk through this office uh, in service of the church and of Christ. And they have to love and forgive with a gospel love. They're going to see brokenness in the people around them. They're going to see brokenness in the people that they're called to shepherd and serve. They're going to have hard conversations and hard relationships. And one of the things that an officer needs to do, as Ligon Duncan said, is be a gospel man. And I love the way he put that, that, that they have to be gospel men, that they have to love and apply the gospel not only to themselves, but to others around them on a day-to-day, sometimes moment-to-moment basis. So that's a little bit about the office of elder and deacon. What about the qualifications for elder and deacon? I want to roll through these fairly quickly. And as even I know as a preacher, even as I say that, uh, that is the death knell for my actually being able to accomplish that. But, but I want you to go ahead and, and take some time in the coming weeks to read through 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, as Paul goes through those qualifications, there are other verses that I point you to in the devotional guide that's in the back in Titus and and in Ephesians 1 that I want you to kind of think about in terms of this whole nomination process. But but I'm going to kind of roll through these because there are two lists in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 deal with the qualifications for elders. Verses 8 through 13 deal with the qualifications for deacons. I'm going to kind of refer to the verses as I go along, but there's a lot of parallels here. Although those offices are distinct and very different, there are parallels in terms of what the qualifications are. And by the way, these qualifications, this is not a a separate list of law requirements for officers, for elders and deacons that don't also apply to you, right? So this is not like we are saying, hey, only elders and deacons have to worry about this kind of stuff. But what we are saying is that in particular, the officers that God calls to serve the church must be men who are aware of working towards helping, working and fighting the, the spiritual battles of sanctification in cooperation with God's grace and his spirits leading and moving and growing and changing of his hearts, that elders lead the way in terms of being what I like to call the lead learners in the church regarding the qualifications that are listed here. Does that make sense? There are lots of parallels, and I've tried to group them with elders and deacons. They don't fit perfectly, but they do go together somewhat. So first of all, in verses 2 and in verse 8, it says that an elder deacon must be above reproach or dignified, not double-tongued. 
Let me tell you what this doesn't mean. This does not mean sinless. That there are men that you are calling and nominating to these offices, and there are men that you have already called and are currently serving in these offices, and every single one of them are sinners. There's not a one of them that gets any of this 100% right all of the time, but every single one of them, as I said, are gospel men. Uh, and, and know that, that they need Jesus to, to cover over the sins that, that they commit. That they are, like I said, the lead learners, the lead strugglers, the lead fighters in terms of their own battle with temptation with the world, the flesh, and the devil. The integrity of an elder or deacon must be beyond question. In other words, that their yes means yes and their no means no. The next one is that they are faithful in marriage and sexually pure as husbands in verses 2 and in verse 12. What this doesn't mean is that they, they must be married. This does not mean that a single man cannot serve as an elder or a deacon, nor does it mean that they only have to have been married once. In other words, a widower uh, is qualified to serve as an elder or deacon, as is a man who has had to have a divorce for biblical reasons. In other words, his spouse was unfaithful or he suffered abandonment by his spouse. And again, maybe that's another sermon for another day. But what this does mean is that these are men who are faithful and accountable both to God and to their wives regarding their marriage vows. It doesn't mean that they are perfect husbands, uh, but it does mean that they are living faithfully in regards to that sacred covenant that they have made uh, before God regarding the marriage relationship. It means also they are sound in judgment in verses two and verse eight. They are self-controlled, sober-minded, respectable, dignified. An elder or deacon must be vigilant, not, not paranoid, but aware of himself and those under his care. I thought of an example. Is one time I, I took a youth group on a mission trip to, to New York City, and there was a long walk of several blocks between our subway stop and the hostel we were staying at. And as we made that walk each night, uh, it was not that I was paranoid or worried, but I was, I was aware, right, of where those kids were and who was around them and what they were doing and were they running out into the middle of traffic and were they, you know, acting goofy and doing something that is not wise in that situation and also what's going on around them or who are the people that we are walking next to and what's, what's, what's going on there. It means that sound and judgment means that there is a, a vigilance and a watchfulness over God's people and over yourself. They're sound in behavior. It says, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, verses three and eight. That there, there is no place for an officer who is a bully. That we are called under shepherds as elders, right? Because, because we follow an over-shepherd. Guess who that is? That's Jesus, and we, we are to imitate Jesus as he leads and guides his church, especially in terms of being gentle and humble in our correction of others. Galatians 6.1 is, is the elder's anchor verse in times of correction. 
Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you be, too be tempted. That we are called to watch over our words and our actions uh, in real life and in every interaction that we have, whether it's face-to-face or online. That's a struggle right now. That's a struggle in this day and age with, with all of the outlets that we have to proclaim without having to risk hearing back from others necessarily. So we are called to watch over our words and actions so that they are always edifying and never needlessly divis- divisive. It says an elder or deacon is not controlled or motivated by the love of money, verses three and eight. Wealth or poverty does not recommend or disqualify one from serving as an officer. In other words, just because you're rich doesn't mean you ought to be an officer. And just because you're poor doesn't mean that you ought not to be an officer or vice versa, right? Uh, What this simply means is the idolatry of materialism and love of money is what disqualifies one from serving as an elder or a deacon. That is your life controlled and guided by a love of money. That they are godly leaders of their household, verses 4 through 5 and verse 12, that, that look, we struggle as parents just like everybody else. Like we have the same struggles that, that you do. And we, we struggle with doing things that are basic to leading a home spiritually like, like family devotions, right? What is the motto of my household regarding family devotions? Never stop starting family devotions. Uh, and so we struggle with that. But an officer is a faithful teacher, leader, disciple of, of his family, that officers will set the example for what it look lo- looks like for one sinner to shepherd a family of sinners. Elders must be gifted for shepherding. It says they must, they must be hospitable, able to teach, credible within and without the church. Verses three and seven. That they must have, Calvin says, wisdom in applying God's word to the profit of the people. It doesn't necessarily mean that a shepherd or an elder is always a large group teacher or preacher. Uh, I am called a teaching elder. Uh, That is the particular order of elder that I am that you call pastors and and preachers. Uh, That my main job each week is this, is making sure that when it's this time in, in the worship service comes comes to pass, I'm able to stand up and deliver a message from God's word to you that I have studied and, and meditated upon throughout the week, that, that preaching and preparing a sermon is, is the one thing I have to do every single week, no matter what. That's the role of a teaching elder. There's other differences as well, just kind of simplifying things, but as a ruling elder, uh, it may still be called to teach. They may still be called to teach in a large group setting in a Sunday school class, but it's not always what they're best at. It's not always what they're even good at, that there are other ways of teaching and, and presenting the gospel and, and shepherding in a teaching capacity. There are small groups to be led. There are one-on-one discipleship moments to be had. Hospitality means that we live within the context of our people. 
and that our lives are fishbowls to those around us, especially the churches we serve. Verses six through nine says that the, the elder officer is spiritually mature. Verses six and nine through 10 This is both for the church's protection and for the officer's protection. Note verse six says that he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. As deacons, it says that they must hold with a good conscience to the mystery of the faith and also be tested, right? There is no better way to destroy an institution than to destroy her leaders, and that's why there's this warning given that, that officers must be mature. It doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be old. They don't have to have lots of gray hairs, right? But it does mean that they must be spiritually mature. They must be advanced in the process of their sanctification as God has grown them up over the years to be more and more like Jesus. Okay. <laughs> If you're an officer in the room right now, how you doing? Maybe I should have arranged for like emotional support animals to be present um, <laughs> to help, right? Because the truth is, this would crush us if it weren't for Jesus. That this would all be too terrifying and too crushing if not for this last point. If not for the truth and the fact that officers serve at the pleasure and calling of Jesus, the king of elders and deacons. Ephesians 4, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ, rather speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. That Jesus is the one who gives the church everything she needs, including officers. And so officers, as you hear this, know that your calling isn't from a group of people, a group of sinful, broken humans, but that your calling, the office that you hold and in which you serve the church of Christ is from Jesus. It's not from humans. (laughs) Our job in the process of nominating and electing is to discern as best we can, as prayerfully as we can, and as wisely as we can, those men who are qualified uh, in their character and qualified in their giftedness, and then see who is willing and who the church would have to serve her. And all of that is guided and directed and prompted and and superintended over by the overseeing sovereign king and head of the church, the only one who shed his blood for her, the Lord Jesus. That is where your calling comes from. That is the one you are accountable to. As officers, that is the one whom you serve, and that is the one who forgives you and gives you grace new every morning when you fail to live up to the qualifications in the list that we just went through. Because you will. But the question is 
do you run to the cross? Do you run to Jesus? Do you look at, at the, the one who won the victory and gave the spoils of the victory to the church and you were part of the spoils? That you're a gift to this church. That Jesus is the one who gives the church everything she needs, including officers. Church, these men are a gift to you. The ones that you will call in this coming year will be a gift to you. And the giver of that gift is Christ Jesus. They are a gift to God from me, or to me, rather. They're not a gift from God from me. They're a gift to God to me. That serving alongside them is one of the things that, that keeps me serving alongside them. I don't know if that makes any sense or not. But I need them. I need the other elders that are in that room with me as we make decisions and discuss things and and talk about the church and seek to love and shepherd and pray for the church that, that I am recognizing more and more in this role that I've been called to as your pastor my need for them and the gift that they are to me. That they have loved and encouraged and helped and shepherded and corrected me. They are a gift to God to you. As I've watched them over the last year and a half, love and comfort and teach and shepherd and, yes, correct, you. Paul says it's for our growth and maturity. He says to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. That your deacons make sure we have the space and the means and the resources for ministry. That they serve and encourage you in your ministries. As you are empowered and equipped to go out and make a difference in the places that you are planted, your deacons do the work of equipping you and making sure that you have the resources and the space and the ability and the, and to do those things. That they love and care and pray for you and the people around us with mercy. They make sure the missions of the church inside these walls and outside in the world happens. And they literally give you the tools so that we can delight in God, demonstrate mercy, and declare the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your elders make sure you have the spiritual health and knowledge to be useful to the kingdom of God. And together your officers faithfully and patiently and sacrificially serve Jesus and GCC, but they do it under Christ who is the head of the church. We call this an ordination. This calling to these offices is an ordination. And they will take ordination vows. And that that is something that, it means that that is something that is done by order or decree. So the question then is, who is it that orders or decrees it? Who orders or decrees that those who are called to these offices, it's Jesus, it's Jesus who does this, that he, he uses our processes, uh, he uses our discernment, he uses our wisdom to give this gift to the church, 
But apart from Jesus and his generous grace as our king, this would be crushing, both in the process of nominating, training, and electing officers, and in the terror of serving as an officer. But as it is, Jesus has set his grace on us. He has set his grace on us so fully and completely and richly that we have a meal every week to celebrate that grace. That we, we come together as the body of Christ, as, as the, the pre-glorified bride of Christ to enjoy the sacrifice made for us by our King. That the one who sets the table with his own broken body and shed blood is the King. He's the king, I tell you. He's not safe, but he's good. And he's the king of the church. And he's the king of elders. And he's the king of deacons. But hopefully, and more and more completely, he'll be your king. He'll be the one who rules and reigns over your heart as we follow the ones that he has given us as a church to lead us, let us all humbly serve the king and his church with that comforting knowledge that we will not be crushed by the weight of these offices because Christ bore the weight, he bore the failure, he bore the the sting of God's anger at our sin as officers and as lay people on the cross. And he bids us come and feast with him in light of his generous grace as our king. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, our king, we are so thankful that, that we know that those words are trustworthy and true that we know that you have loved your people and loved your church from before the foundation of the world, that, that you, you have called us and redeemed us and loved us from eternity past, and that love will endure all the way through eternity future. And in this moment, as we come to this table, we come as people recognizing you as our king, won't you feed us now from this sacrament and encourage us and equip us to, to more and more surrender to you our whole lives, recognizing that there is, there is nothing that we can do to accomplish our salvation, but rather all we must do is trust in you, our king, our Lord, our ruler, our bridegroom. Thank you for loving us so completely, even though you know us completely. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.